The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two barchies and a bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden. Bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. Welcome to a special episode of our podcast. I feel like I'm always saying that every intro because every episode is special, but this is really special because <laughs> it's a um, it's a Q&A pod. But first, we do have a tiny bit of news, um, more so like reminders. So by the time this pod comes out, Family Law will have premiered. Um, that has a Sunday, October 2nd premiere. It's one of the acquisitions. We're going to get into what happens in the uh, premiere episode of its first season later in the pod. We'll, we'll have our thoughts. Um, as far as, and then also Coroner season four comes out on Sunday as well. That's a 9 p.m. slot for them. Stargirl returns um, with new episodes on She's Wednesday. Back. Yes. <laughs> like, because she took a little hiatus to, to join everybody else, I guess, even though they should have been joining her. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, and Kung Fu season three premieres um, on Wednesday as well at nine. And then Walker season three uh, premieres on Thursday, October 6th at 8 p.m. I know the Walker fans are excited because now they get to find out who exactly kidnapped Cordell and um, who's going to find out about it and when and how they're going to get him back. Uh, but what we're excited about is the Wendy premiere, which happens at 9 p.m. on that same night on that Thursday, because it's been forever. And I want to talk about it in a spoiler way, like so, so bad. And we haven't been able to. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. <laughs> it's all feeling very official now with the fall schedule officially here. It is. It's exciting. It's an exciting time for the CW because finally they get to join the rest of the networks mm. in the fall TV uh, schedule. And I'm very happy about it and very excited. I live for fall TV. I just truly do. I'm buried under it right now because I'm somehow (laughs) behind, even though it like just started, but I live for fall TV. And then the one piece of news is that Riverdale season seven has a title for its premiere. And I immediately started laughing when I saw it. (laughs) Because, of course, Roberta would do this. But the premiere is called Don't Worry, Darling. Of course it is. Uh, yeah, like, why wouldn't he? Uh, <laughs> he, lo- he loves mess. <laughs> I'm just waiting for, like, Cheryl to say it or something. Yes. Or, like, for someone to make a comment about, like, the Stepford Wives or, or whatever. I, I'm assuming it's going to be fun. That, that feels like it's going to be, like, a bonkers episode then. I'm hoping that... Um, well, I think they did say we're going to stay in the 50s for a while, but I hope that's the case, because what I don't want to happen is this to be like the Flash season three's premiere, where it's Flashpoint for one episode, yeah. and then we're out of there. <laughs> Just dealing with minor repercussions for the rest of the season. Wait, <laughs> so they teased like a big thing in the season two finale, and then they didn't make good on that promise in season three? They made good on it in the Just sense for one that episode. Yeah. for one episode. Oh, it was no. a nice episode, though. Yeah. 
we all were like, the, you should have seen the internet that year. Everyone was melting down over DC's finally telling Flashpoint on screen. And it was literally one episode titled Flashpoint. And then the rest of the season was just tying up loose ends from that timeline. It was a mess. It was a mess. They were like, you get one. You get one episode. <laughs> <laughs> it was a fantastic episode, though. We just thought we would be there for longer. It never reached that high ever again. No, it didn't. Um, and there was minor repercussions, except for one thing, Reed. Um, very um, changing the timeline meant that Cisco's brother died. So that was a season long um, having to deal with his, with Cisco's grief and his anger. And those two were not good for the longest time. And that dragged the season down too. Also, they were dealing with that at the same time that Iris was going to be dying, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that was supposed to be a repercussion from it as well. I mean, okay, it had some major repercussions, but it wasn't the flashpoint everybody wanted. Yeah. Uh, it was a mess. Barry Allen was a mess. Everything was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> but it lives on as one of the best episodes The Flash has it ever does, done. It does. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it for the news. Um, hopefully, Don't Worry Darling, Riverdale style is is good. Um, considering I do know what happened in Don't Worry Darling, not because I watched it, but because, you know, editing, you find out things when you do reviews oh, yeah. and content. <laughs> and I, I feel like I've watched it on Twitter. Somehow people are getting like brave with piracy. I'm like, why am I watching <laughs> of this movie on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> and so that gives away, but it has, doesn't it have you wondering, like, if they're going to name it that, what exactly are we going to be doing on Riverdale that emulates it? Yeah. It's going to be terrifying one way or another. (laughs) That's true. Season seven premiere, everyone's tuning in. We will get above 200,000 viewers. (laughs) Let's manifest that now. (laughs) Okay, but launching into the question section, um, Diana left a lot of questions. There's so much. I'm so excited to dive into them, starting with who's a superhero that deserves a standalone show on the CW? When I first got this question, I was like, oh, I have so many answers. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. I have so many answers. If you'd asked me this in 2016, I could have answered this straight off the bat. But things have changed so much on the network, on the superhero landscape, on the CW, everything in the years since. Um, It's hard to imagine where the superhero landscape will be on the CW. But I think settling on everything, I think my answer would be Batman Beyond um you all thought i was going to say batman didn't you um it was was going to be batman beyond because uh the concept for anyone unfamiliar it's basically set years after batman's reign of heroism in gotham the days of the dark knight have come and gone it's a very futuristic gotham city and it starts to be overrun with crime again a lot of youths uh, call call a team up to call themselves the jokers it's a gang there are gang wars going on and um basically high school student terry mcginnis protects old old man bruce wayne from the jokers and then old man bruce wayne ends up protecting terry mcginnis terry discovers bruce's batman and then bruce trains terry to become the next batman of the future batman beyond if you will um so i've always thought that concept would lend itself nicely to the cw because of first of all you have a teen at the center of the show um a teen superhero show first of all it's a batman concept and um i just feel like it I don't know if they have the budget for it. They probably don't. It would probably work better on HBO Max. But I feel like maybe the era for it's come and gone. But if someone had said maybe make a Batman Beyond series on the CW in 2016, 2017, it would have been ideal for the CW back then. It's just such a shame it never happened. But yeah, I would love to see 
um, a Batman Beyond series on the CW. And um, I there are so many great actors out there who could play a young Terry McGuinness. And I mean, I think you all know who I have in mind for old man Bruce Wayne. Um, uh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> he's, played, he's played Bruce Wayne before. <laughs> I was like thinking about it and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, there's been for years there's been rumors of a Batman Beyond movie and everyone's like Michael Keaton would be great as uh, the older Bruce Wayne it would make sense because it would be like a sequel to his movies they're doing something different in the Flash now so this will never happen but um, yeah a Batman Beyond feels like an appropriate superhero for a, t- a CW show and um, both just because of the teen audience the superhero audience it takes all of the CW's like superhero boxes and it would I think it would have thrived on three or four years ago but who knows if they made a Batman Beyond show now maybe it could be the show that brings DCTV's glory days back to the CW that'd be fun that'd be enjoyable you said Michael Keaton for old man Batman but when I was younger I always saw him as like Anthony Hopkins because yeah. I had him as um like when he was training Zero in that in that um mm-hmm that we make movie uh as, as he's always been anthony hopkins to me not now because he uh, uh, he would never be coming to cw ever but, <laughs> <laughs> um but, and i don't think he, he'd be batman it would work for his age now but michael keaton's a good choice i don't know who else it would be nor do i i would like to see that announcement because i know immediately you'd be online like michael keaton should have gotten the role <laughs> <laughs> he was right there guys <laughs> <laughs> um my pick would be Zatanna. I feel like I've tweeted that a few times on our Twitter account. I mean, the CW already has like what three different magic shows on at a time as it is. You might as well make a scripted one. Um, And she's, I don't believe she's had a live action um, iteration at any point. Like, I don't think Zatanna has popped up anywhere as far as I'm aware. Uh, And it would be fun. Um, bring a little magic, some magic to the CW lineup. They could do kind of whatever they wanted. Um, I mean, of course, they could delve through the comics, but this is also an opportunity to just give her an entirely new story if they wanted to and introduce a wider audience to her character. Mm, I agree, because I feel like the CW is a good platform for the, to introduce DC characters to different audiences. It's worked so well over the years. And Satana is definitely like, an, and she got that youthful vibe about her that would make her work really well. And I think there is supposed to be a project coming up, I think, for HBO Max. But I remember when it was announced, I was like, this would have been a greatest part of the Arrowverse because we never really got to delve into like the mystic arts until like Legends of Tomorrow. She would have been a great addition to that show. And I still feel like there's a place in the market to tell Zatanna's story. And I feel like the CW would have been the right place to do it. I hope that that's what happens because HBO Max doesn't need her. CW does. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, do you have a superhero that you could think of that you'd want for the CW? You might be shocked to learn that I don't. Um, (laughs) All of the superheroes I can name already have shows or movies. So, no. (laughs) Well, how about we do like a real life one then? What are your thoughts on Rihanna headlining the Super Bowl halftime show? I... I'm so excited, you guys. <laughs> you know, I thought she was kind of in her like businesswoman mom era, and she still is. But I'm like, I, when the news came out, I was like, Rihanna said yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm so I, I'm really excited. I whether this means she's going to be releasing new music or just you know reminding us who she is and running through the hits. I'm so ready for this. 
I feel the same. The one thing I want, though, is, and I have no idea if they already chose the stadium, it needs to be a closed dome. I want those lights to go off. <laughs> yeah, I remember, I like, I have no idea, like, anything about football. So I was, like, asking anybody who knew, I was like, so where is this Super Bowl going to be? And I think someone said Arizona, so I was like, oh, it's going to be daytime. Just, like, knowing how Super Bowls on the West Coast have worked before, I'm like, oh, it needs to be it needs to be at night for Rihanna. She needs like fire and lights and everything. <laughs> yeah. I want them to be afraid of an electrical surge and the, and the game <laughs> having to stop like it did for Beyonce. I just, I need, we need her full power at the Fenty bowl. <laughs> yes. Cause that's why we're tuning in for those of us who are not like there with the sports, the halftime show is it. Oh, I won't even know who's playing besides Rihanna. <laughs> i only know because my like my family would know so i'll be like that's cool but it's actually the honest show right now so just let me know when she starts her set and that i will come to the living room to watch oh, the halftime yeah. show same <laughs> um oh there's a second part to this question so if you could replace her i would replace her if you could replace her who would who would be the artist that you'd want okay so i wouldn't replace her but I do have a wish list. I'm pulling it up on my phone. Since this is a place for manifestation, and we have yes. a mole. I just, you know, I want to put out <laughs> the universe. I do. My like top pick would be Taylor Swift, obviously. And mm-hmm. the rumor allegedly is she turned it down this year, which I completely get. She's swamped. She's re-recording her music. She's got a, you know, she's busy. I get it. Um, I'd also love to see Pink. Like, you Ooh, just imagine fun. her flying through the stadium. Like, amazing. Alicia Keys, Miley Cyrus, Ariana Grande, Christina Aguilera. Oh, so much. Oh, I have a <laughs> I have a full list. Yeah. Um, and I think I was trying to think like who like, like modern artists, because a lot of times they like reach back into the people that are like icons, you know? So I was like, who now is is kind of like iconic? And I'm like, Lizzo. Lizzo, a Lizzo mm-hmm. halftime show would be incredible. I think we give her another album cycle to get some more yeah. hits. And then she'll be there with her flute and it'll be amazing. Um, And in my wildest dreams, this will never happen because of, you know, a lot of reasons. But I think a Little Mix Super Bowl (laughs) halftime show would be incredible. Um, Unfortunately, the American Top 40 audience did not cross them over. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's like never going to happen for that reason, because like America would be like, who are these three women? Um, but I would love it. And I, if I, if I ever won the lottery, I would use my earnings to fund a little mix halftime show. <laughs> <laughs> have they featured on any, um, well, had they, have they had a feature from an American artist that's big enough to pull them onto the Super Bowl for uh, a, a little moment? They had Nicki Minaj on a, they've had a lot of, I'll give their label credit. They had like Nicki Minaj, Machine Gun Kelly. There's a ton that I'm forgetting. Um, on their own songs, but mm-hmm. it didn't help cross them over to the American audience for whatever reason. Um, but you know, you never know. Never say never. That's true. That's true. I love your list though. It's like full of icons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like people who would truly like <laughs> shut the Super Bowl down and have some fun. I feel like it's been hit or miss um every now and again. Um I do wonder if they do do someone like 
after Rihanna that has a smaller smaller name in terms of like getting the, the party started that mm. if that band will, or a person will do a Coldplay and just bring out heavy hitters the way Coldplay brought out Beyonce <laughs> right. and Bruno Mars <laughs> they did like two of their own songs and then they just brought like their friends on because they knew what was up they knew they yeah. had to come with it I love when like when Katy Perry did it she brought out icons too to honor them like she brought out Lenny Kravitz and Missy Elliott I thought that was amazing and I think that that's one of my favorite halftime shows I know no one's shocked (laughs) (laughs) it's really good her and that lion when she walked uh, um when the whole thing moves until she gets to the stage and she made the sharks work somehow it worked yeah iconic moment we're still referencing it today exactly and I don't think anyone was prepared I don't think they were ready for what she was bringing I think they counted her out (laughs) and then were surprised story of her life Exactly. All right. So next question. Um, are there any novels that you hope to see made into a movie or a show in the future? Ooh, I'm not a big reader. Mm. I'm, I used to be, but I'm not anymore. I'm trying to think. There was a sci-fi movie out a couple of years ago that I watched it, enjoyed a lot, and I because I really liked the book, and that was the Fifth Wave. I don't know if you guys remember it, but it was I, Chloe Grace Moretz, Nick Robinson, were, Lee Schreiber was in it. Um, but yeah, a big movie. It was probably too big a budget and didn't perform as well at the box office as they wanted to, and it never got a follow up. I always looked at that show and thought if that got the hundred treatment, like a TV series on the CW, it would have lasted so much longer. It would have been more pop culturally relevant. So I feel like in a couple of years if the CW wanted to reboot the, the fifth wave as a TV series, it would be far more successful than the movie was. And it was a shame because I really liked the cast in that movie. It just, a movie wasn't probably the right way to go for it. So yeah, if, it sounds a bit predictable to pick a book that was already made into a movie, but I'm going with the TV option. I think a TV series on a show like that would work far better. The 100, for example, barring its last season, of course. <laughs> That the fifth wave, that was the one that unfortunately came after all the other dystopian teen mm-hmm. movies, right? So people were also burnt out from yep. that type of storytelling. So a TV show to revive it, especially if the movie isn't remembered that well, would work. Yeah, exactly. I always thought TV works better for that genre because, of course, you had the Hunger Games and, of course, the Harry Potter way before that, Twilight, of course, that turned these novels into like these global sensations. But that era had kind of come and gone by the time the fifth wave was coming out. And like you said, there was fatigue, whereas the likes of the hundred were thriving on the small screen. So I just, I do, I don't think we're necessarily over the YA adaptation era. I just think it's evolved into television and that's where its future will be. Um, And it's a shame they didn't realize that sooner because I think the fifth wave could have been a hit on TV. Okay. Well, here's more options for you to take to the CW. (laughs) For me, um, well, the one that I, one of the ones that I wanted to be made into a, a movie or a show or whatever was Daisy Jones and the Six, which is becoming a, um, that's going to be on Prime Video, I believe. It's taking forever to be made. <laughs> I've, I've um, been waiting as patiently as I can for it. Um, that book is by Taylor Jenkins Reid. It follows a fictional band uh, who came into notoriety, I believe in the late 60s, early 70s, were, were only around for a few years. But the book, the way that it's done, it's done in an interview style. Uh, and so you learn more and more about each character's story um, the, the further along in the interviews that they go in, and it's um, alternating perspectives. And it's really cool. Um, and it's about love and addiction and um, what it means to be bonded to, to someone through music and how that can disrupt a marriage, how it can disrupt other relationships. 
um, and the how crazy of a time that was in America. Um, it felt like when I was reading, I was like, this is lawless. What do you mean the 13 year old is that the, <laughs> like, as, as that this club and she's in there, these older rockers. And I'm just like, no, babies, go back home. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she goes into like this fabulous singer, um, Daisy. She's played by Riley Kauf in, in the show, who is Elvis Presley's granddaughter. Oh, so oh, wow. So I cannot wait to see what she does. I believe she was in, I think Riley, I could be wrong, um, but that movie, which is escaping me, but the the one from A24 that was about um, the two girls in Atlanta that did that whole Twitter thread about Zola. I think she was the, the oh, yeah, right. the, um, the second female lead of Zola. And so I'm like, I can't wait to see what Riley does. Um, but my second choice would be The City We Became by N.K. Jemison. It's this like sci-fi fantasy where the boroughs of New York are embodied by actual people. Um, and so as the city comes alive, they have to defeat this like, I don't know, it's not like a liminal space, but it's this creature that wants to make everything homogenized. Uh, and it's really cool um, and also alternative perspectives. There's a pattern here. I love <laughs> stories in which you get to read different um, POVs. Uh, and um, like there's an embodiment of Brooklyn, an embodiment of the Bronx, and they all have different personalities and they're all coming into their powers unexpectedly and they're all different ages too. And so they bring something different to the table. There's another city that comes, Sao Paulo, who has to help them. Um, and they can feel like the pain of their city. I think that'd be really cool to translate into a show. It might actually be optioned. I know that N.K. Jemison has a few shows that have got picked up to be, be to be developed, but you know how that goes, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're developing for years. It's possible we might not even see this for like the next five to 10 years if they do do it. But I'm like, I've got my fingers crossed. I'm hoping it does become a show. And it would it would have to be a show. It be. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just too much going on. Speak that into existence. <laughs> yes. You know what? I do have a pick. It's not a novel. Um, but when you you said development, and it reminded me, um, I think it was two years ago now, Jessica Simpson released her memoir. And it was like this huge hit. And then she like had this deal with, I think, Amazon where she was like developing a show or movie based on her memoir. I haven't heard any news about it, but I'm like, that would kind of serve on the CW, like Mm -hmm. a show based on her, even if it's not like about her life, if it's just inspired about it, just like another young girl who came up in from, you know, a small town and became a pop star. I think that would be so fun. Because I've been waiting for news on whatever she's been developing. So I'm like, I, I love her. I love the book. I'm like, I want more. <laughs> Hopefully it comes up. And that would be a good show on the CW. They haven't had a, they had a music drama yet. If you don't count Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then yes, they need like a pop idol um, music drama would you want it to be a period? like if it is based on her life it'd be in the 90s would you want if they did it inspired by her and kept it in the same time period would you want a 90s show on the cw oh, oh yeah of course i mean they're doing the 70s so i mean that's true and they, they love a period drama as we've talked about mm-hmm. right that's now that's true this is we're doing the 70s we're doing the late 1800s and we're possibly doing the um early 1900s as well with that <laughs> happened in society. So uh, yeah, the 90s, not that far back. 
they're more vintage options so they can do it with the budget yeah <laughs> um and then last question from diana um was the dynasty finale everything you hoped it would be um and what ending did you initially have in mind i will answer the second half first i never had an ending in mind for the show because i just i didn't know how they would end it because it's such a larger than life show i'm like do they go earnest do they like i mean possibilities were endless um they did end up going kind of like more earnest and heartfelt and giving everybody happy endings I, I originally i was like i don't does blake go to jail does he die like i don't i like i don't know how deep they're gonna get into this um i think it was everything that i would have wanted i'm one of these people that doesn't get um hung up on series finales i try to remove myself and my expectations from them and just kind of try to take it for what it is and see the creator's vision. Like this is the story they wanted to tell. Why did they want to tell it and try to like separate myself from it for as long as I can. Um, but there's one thing that I did forget to say on the podcast when we talked about the series finale, I would have loved to see Monica again. Cause I don't even remember how she left the show. I don't know how, like what they said, where she was going. I just would have, even if it wasn't an appearance, just an update on how she was doing in dialogue really quickly between like Jeff and Dominique or something. Um, I don't even know what, how she ended things with Fallon. We're like, were they friends? Michael, you watched it <laughs> sooner than early. You probably remember better than I do. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think, I think the last time we saw her was, was it when her grandmother passed away and then Fallon had the big like presentation she was going to give for her brand. But then she was like, no, my friend needs me and showed up at the memorial service. I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think Monica was at that. And then she said, she, I, what did she say? She was going to go to New York. And Dominique said she'd go with her for a few days. And then Dominique came back, but Monica didn't. I think that might have been the last time we saw them. Yeah, because she was opening a Club Colby in New York, mm. I think. And then she just stayed there, which was an, an amazing choice on her part. Like, get out of Atlanta, away from these people. <laughs> <laughs> but I understand why... Um, she didn't because the actress who plays her Wakima Hollis booked and busy just got married in real life so like I mean no hard feelings but I you know just as a fan I would have loved to see her one more time yeah I understand that because I remember you said when I just around the time I started the show that you were shocked that she was never really a series regular because she kind of came up a recurred like that was more than a recurring role she was in like every other episode at the start yeah, I wish they would have developed her a little bit more and brought her in, but you know, it is what it is at this point. True, though they were teasing spinoff potentials, um, but I mean, they do that in the postmortems for the series finales. But you never know, you know, we are manifesting here, so let's manifest the Colbys, and she'll be back. Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. But um, on the finale note, um. I agreed with Reed totally. Like it's the kind of show you never really know what kind of route's going to go in before it ends because one episode can be so different from the next. It can be like someone goes to jail and then the next one is like a musical sequence. Like it's just, it's nonstop bonkersness. And I, I, I think the finale got the right blend and, but I'm glad it leaned more in the heartfelt direction as well. It was kind of one of these, like for a finale, you can either end things so they'll never be the same again or you can go the right off the more things, the, the more they change, the more they stay the same. And that's kind of what the dynasty finale felt like. It was very much um, 
certain things have changed, but everything will stay the same. And I think I remember reading in the postmortem of the showrunner that they said if, if it had been renewed for a season six, it absolutely would have just been more of the same. So I think that was a good way for it to buy that, that there always is room for them to do something more in the future if they ever decided to. But we know we're never going to get another like straightforward season. And I thought that kind of ended some dynasty up beautifully. Yeah, right. This isn't the show that, you know, didn't have a question to answer. It's not like Gossip Girl where we're like, oh, we need to reveal who this person is. And, you know, it's just these rich people fighting with each other. There wasn't like a big like, who's going to get married or like, uh, even though someone did get married, but there wasn't like this big, like looming question or like, it, I think they found, a, a as you said, a, a great way to tie it all up and end it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was a nice series finale I only had one wish and it was a wish I knew probably wasn't going to come true and that was that Miss Ariana Grande would make an appearance <laughs> in some fashion but I was not disappointed by the end because you know you have to have realistic expectations uh, but mm-hmm. it tied up nice one other thing about soaps so soaps do kind of just end um, because it, they are stories that are like they're wild slices of life but slices of life nonetheless so like you wouldn't want it, you would want it to end with a little bit of questions. Like, first of all, why is, what was that, Adam in London being a veterinarian? Mm-hmm. And like, what does that mean for Kirby and Amanda who are going back to London? So you have, like, if they had ever wanted to do an additional um, part or a, a movie, those two would definitely bump it down somehow. Mm-hmm. And you could have like a, a, a locale um, episode. And that's what's fun about soap operas is that they the way that they end is it's just another day of wildness yeah. and craziness. <laughs> and, and so the story never completely ends. You know that it'll go forward even if they stopped writing about it. Now that you said I'm so disappointed they didn't do the aliens like that right there far in the wind. Just kidding. Um, yeah, no, it was definitely like the more things change, the more they say the same. And I, I think that's what Dynasty was in a nutshell. And I thought that was a great way to go out. Sure, sure. But speaking of things going out, Cody asked us, that with Riverdale ending and Powerpuff Girls in limbo, I'm going to say she's dead on arrival. They're just not going to say nothing to us. Um, but what iconic Shuss animated title do you think the CW should attempt reimagining as a live action series? We know, however, that this is just Cody wanting us to talk about Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, it feels so obvious. It's right there. <laughs> It's right there, and I'd like to see it, um, and it'd be so much fun. I mean, at some point, we're going to be have um, an oversaturation of mystery dramas on the CW, but Scooby-Doo should get through the door before that happens. Yeah, I think it's it's long overdue. Has anybody tried it besides the, the movies, the live-action Scooby-Doo? Um, I don't think so. I think it's just, it's just been the movies, unless there's, like, some defunct... Um, aired three episodes no one talked about it Scooby-Doo thing that came out <laughs> in, the, in the 2000s it's probably a logistical thing right because how does a show sustain a story about a dog like do they get a real dog <laughs> like it's probably a, like a logistical nightmare of trying to figure out like the tone too Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like if it had been done in the 90s, you absolutely would have had a real dog. Like Sabrina had, Sabrina the Teenage Witch had a um, like real cat and then they just overlaid <laughs> over the voiceover. I feel like it absolutely would have done that. But in today's day and age, because there's kind of that expectation to make a dog that looks exactly like Scooby-Doo. So of course it would be CGI. But again, logistically, how could the CW sustain that? Mm, true. And you have to be really strategic 
about how they use Scooby, or they would just have to get people to understand that this dog is not going to say rock girl. And, <laughs> and it's just going to be a regular dog that um, everyone is fond of. Um, I have a realistic take on um, the Scooby-Doo gang and just be fine with it. I, I actually don't need him to do his iconic things. Like I do want a dog that does tricks though. If they do a real dog. Um, but other than that, he <laughs> so he's like, I want an actor. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Pretzel needs work. (laughs) Very true. That's true, but Pretzel looks nothing like Scooby. I mean, whatever. Uh oh. (laughs) You're gonna say that? Oh, is that the next like um, controversial like thing on Twitter? What kind of dog is Scooby Doo? I I don't know actually. I just know that he's not a golden retriever. (laughs) Well, well. We'll see. Um, no, I love you. You're like take risks in the casting. Like, this will go forward. This will be another I'm, thing we find I'm about casting online. on talent. <laughs> Pretzel has the range. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. Also, he does need work because how long is that? Um, is it gold? Not gold bond. Blue gold. Gold blue. What is the pretzel company called? Rolled gold. <laughs> <laughs> so close. <laughs> Because we don't know how long that partnership is going to last. And you no, know what? I think it ended within the dark, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Well, then you know what? Y'all, we're just going to have to get used to it. Scooby Doo's now Golden Retriever. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. oh, here's us putting so much investment into how they're going to logistically do the dog. And I can see them in like four years from now doing a Scooby Doo prequel, just focused on the few humans and no dog inside. I will Amen. write a roasting review. They could. And then the series finale is Shaggy adopting Scooby. <laughs> but see, if you wrote it, then I think I'd be happy because if that's a really nice season finale. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have okay. any picks outside of Scooby-Doo? Oh, um, for comic and animated, I know Jetsons. It'd be mm. interesting to the Jetsons. Hmm. Maybe Daria. I know they're doing like a a spinoff of Daria. Oh, Jody, right? Yeah, but I'm like, live action. Let's try it. I don't know. I know. Again, we are, is that 90s or late 2000s? Early 2000s? I think it's late, mid mid to late 90s. Okay. Well, then another period piece for the CW. That skews older. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it ended end up being like freaks and geeks, I think. But that's, I mean, that's one of my favorite shows. So let's let's do it. That's fine. I like it. I like that choice. Okay. More things for them all. So we have we have Scooby-Doo, <laughs> we have the Jetsons, and we have Daria. Do we have another pick? I picked Batman Beyond earlier on. That was an animated show. That counts. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Double down. <laughs> yes. Okay, so the next question is from Joe. Um, they're a fan of Gilmore Girls and Jared Padalecki. And uh, they're happy about the show's endurance. So as viewers and reviewers, I want to know what it is about shows that separate the ones that become perennial and the ones that become multi-generational fandom favorites from those that kind of just get left in the vault. I love this question Mm -hmm. because there's so much to consider. And I think when it comes down to it, um, it comes down to, I think, a little bit of luck, quality, and accessibility for mm-hmm. certain shows. Um, 
because you never know when a show premieres that it's going to be a hit, right? So Gilmore Girls, like, who would have thought that this little show about a mother and daughter that is so, like, specific in its tone and sense of humor, like, I would, every time I watched it, I'm like, I can't believe people love this. Like, it just feels so wired to my own interests mm-hmm. that I'm like, I can't believe this is one of the most popular shows in the world. Um, but you just never know, right? Like there's the luck, but it's also quality. It's a great, well-written, well-acted show, well-directed. It's got all that stuff. And then accessibility, it's been in reruns since it was before it left the air. It's been on Netflix. Um, so I think that's, it's a mixture, but you can, it's not an exact science. Mm. I think there are so many layers to the answers to this question and you just probably delved into all of them. I think the one that stuck with me the most at the first was the logistics of the accessibility of it because you have a show like Gilmore Girls, for example, it was, it was very popular at its time, but it's also very widely available. Now I know the revival helped with that because it ended up on Netflix because of that, but um, it's very widely accessible. It's on reruns and the, the DVD box sets get a, like a re-release or a rebranding with a new cover every couple of years, keeps it relevant. And of course, many of those actors are still on TV in different roles today. So it's, it's, it feels like it's always there, but then you have a show like Ali McBeal, which was, dare I say bigger than Gilmore Girls at the time. It was like, it was one of the like all time greats at its time. And I think because because of music issues and whatnot, it was never made available on as many streaming services. So it never stuck around for as long. It never dominated the conversation for long as long. And it's like heartbreaking to someone who loves Calista Flockhart to say ads for She-Hulk talking about Ali McBeal and then fans going, oh, what's Ali McBeal? And you're like, are you for real? So it, it, it hasn't stuck around as long. And I hope the revival helps with that. It's definitely still considered one of the most culturally revolu- revolu- and revolutionary shows of its time, but it never really transcended its time in the way that other shows like Gilmore Girls, like Buffet, like Dawson's Creek did. And I just think that's down to accessibility. So hopefully this revival will change that. But I think on another or on the other end of things, it's definitely about sometimes it's the, it's the themes or the stories like every like Gilmore Girls is like the perfect fall show. It's like we're just starting fall now and uh, there is everyone talking about it again. Um, but is it at the same time, like the, the genre that like the likes of Buffy was from has never died either. So they've definitely kind of like rebooted that genre with new shows. It spills into the superhero shows. But Buffy is considered one of the first real modern superhero shows it kind of created that that uh, format um and it's just it's like look how great it was because it was the first of its kind it's 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 dominated the conversation still and it's said relevant and i also think perhaps the most important thing is longevity and what you do with that longevity it's about knowing when to go out and i hate to use this example because it's a one very near and dear to my heart I don't think any superhero show has ever made quite the impact that the, that the Flash did when it started. And it's weird to think that almost a decade later, the Flash is still on TV and like nobody's talking about it. Another example of that would be Glee. I remember reading a review of Glee and it said, never did a star burn so bright and yet fizzle out so quickly. And I mean, if Glee had ended maybe after three seasons, Every time you talked about Glee now, it would dominate the conversation. I'd be like, OMG, remember Glee? But it stuck around for those three or four seasons where nobody was watching it. And it suddenly it suddenly went from, can't wait to watch that show to, oh, is that show still on? And you're seeing it nowadays with the Flash at Riverdale as well. Shows like Buffy, shows like Gilmore Girls, shows like Dawson's Creek, 
they never lasted as long as this era of TV that just went on for seasons and seasons and seasons. And that kind of killed the accessibility to the show. Maybe accessibility is the wrong word, but I'm rambling here. But the point is, if things tend to go on too long, it's harder for them to become that like little show that could or that show that, oh, remember when that was on? Because it's still on, just nobody's talking about it anymore, if that makes sense. There are so many layers to it. And I could talk about the other four or five of them, but I've talked about three and that's enough. But um, I just feel like it's such a complex question and I love that. But I think the answer is even more complex because there are so many reasons why that can happen for one show and can't happen for the other. But the examples like you used, read like Gilmore Girls, of course, Buffy, even Smallville, things like that do kind of stand the test of time, even if they were like geared towards a certain time period. And I love that about them. It's an interesting, like now is an interesting time for television, you know, because there's still appointment television um, on broadcast. And I would even say this, there's some streaming shows that are appointment television, like you're sitting down for when it drops on whatever um, streaming platform it releases on. Uh, But there's something about the way that we used to commune around TV that we don't necessarily do in the same way anymore. Um, they used to water cooler television. Mm-hmm. Like you would arrive at work or um, at school and you would talk about the next episode and it's, uh, that the episode that aired the night before. And it's not that we don't still do that. We do. But I think the way that we talk about our shows is, is different. They're not, well, first of all, there's just so much TV. So more things are ending up in the vault than they had because you, I mean, how, there's so many different options that no one is really like sitting down to watch this, this, and this, and this, which is why like when Abbott popped, no one expected Abbott Elementary to pop in the way that it did because we just don't talk about shows the way that people are talking about Abbott Elementary. Especially comedies. Mm. Yeah, like people love them, they're on, they talk about them, but there's a specific way that they talk about Abbott Elementary that reminds me of um, like the, the 90s and the early 2000s when it came to television. I also just think that um, some of the television we do, you can't really share with, I mean, you can share it with your friends, but as far as like family sit downs, like a lot of the popular shows that remain are, are shows that people want to pass on to their children. Like I watched Gilmore Girls. I want you to watch Gilmore Girls because you're, you're of age now to watch it and understand it. Or um, the old like um, family sitcoms, Moesha, um, Family Matters, Full House. Like those things that you would introduce to to your kids, because like um, was said, the life lessons, the morals of the story, the themes that we connect to. Uh, I also just think going back to what you said, read about quality. Um, the, sto- the, the stories are middling because there's so many, and it's not to say that people don't enjoy them. Like we love our shows, um, but I think people are less honest about like what's actually iconic. And what's a comfort show that they like turning into, tuning into on a streaming platform that has a large audience, yes, but is going to be forgotten about three years after it goes off, um, after it stops streaming. In fact, I'm struggling to think of an iconic streaming show that ended that people are still talking about. It's so difficult, I think, with streaming because the access, the accessibility is you can watch it in one place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like. They exist on the certain streamer. They're, I think what's helped a lot of these older shows become multi-generation favorites is like when you talk about The Office, Seinfeld, Friends, Gilmore Girls, any of these shows, 
they were aired on television before they came to streaming. And when you're talking about like, I don't know, Orange is the New Black or um, I was going to say House of the Dragon, that's on HBO. Anything else from like Netflix or that's just exclusive to streaming, a lot of these shows feel like they're made for the moment. They're made to fill to fill space. They're made to, mm-hmm. limited series now are made to, you know, go viral and have that moment that everybody talks about on Twitter for a couple weeks. And then it just kind of, you know, it's on to the next one. And I'm not saying that's bad. It's just different. And it's, it, I don't know if we're going to be talking about some of these shows that we're talking about on Twitter 20 years from now. And we're seeing so many celebrations of like, it's the 20th anniversary of such and such. It's, it's not just nostalgia. It's a celebration of shows that have become so important to so many people. And I, I, and I, I'm curious to see how that's going to go 20 years from now. Like, what are we going to be? Are we going to be like, oh my God, Pam and Tommy came out 20 years ago. <laughs> like, is anybody going to care? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that. I feel like the only maybe exception to that rule might be the likes of Stranger Things, yeah. because I do there think people go. will still be talking about that there one. There it is. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I feel like people will still be talking about that one when it ends. Provided it ends well, like look at Game of Thrones, for example, it was on TV. People couldn't talk about anything else for years. And then it had a quote, terrible final season. I say quote, terrible because I haven't seen it. It had a a terrible final season and then it just died off. Nobody, everyone stopped talking about it. Of course, House of the Dragon now proves that there is still conversation to be had and whatnot. But I do feel like Stranger Things, for example, it took that three year COVID break and then bounced back bigger than ever before with season four and t- it did it twice actually um so i provided it ends well i do think it'll be the exception to the rule but it's sad that the modern wave of tv the modern format of tv that we can only really maybe pull one show out of the year as being the exception and not the rule and again i do think that goes back to what reed was saying that tv is kind of what raise these shows and of course streaming has helped them live forever but if they weren't if they didn't lend themselves to the tv format if they didn't uh, introduce themselves at a time when television was changing um, and at a time when everybody was gathered around the tv to watch together maybe even streaming couldn't have made them uh, reach multiple generations like it did now so i do think it's multiple factors but it does feel like shows from that era of the late 90s and early 2000s lend themselves really nicely to streaming and it'll be really interesting to see in years from now if not only if shows can be successful in their first run on television but if they can reach multiple generations through streaming the way those shows from the previous generations did Mm -hmm. it will be really interesting stranger things is going to be the test Mm -hmm. definitely Um, once they go once they go off like my last point would be you have to have a solid first season i think the thing that streaming has done is that people are willing to binge um through like 10 or so episodes especially if they're half hour and then be fine with the first season because oh by episode five it really gets good like tv just like broadcasting tv does not work that way you Mm -hmm. have to be you have to hook people out the gate um i think that sort of pressure being removed from the, from the streaming era. I mean, I'm sure that helps the storytellers who want to tell slower, longer stories. Um, but as far as the viewers go and as far as longevity, that does mean that like once we binge through all 10 hours, especially if it's a limited series or it's a smaller series, so like maybe three seasons, we're done. People will return back to it. But as far as it making a, um, a stamp 
on um, pop culture beyond when it was airing, that doesn't exist. Mm. And it's sad. <laughs> well, Joe, I hope that answered your question. <laughs> yes, it was a very like thought-provoking question. I know, it was really deep. I loved it. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to group three of these questions together. Is it three? Yeah, three of these questions together. So this is from um, Legendary Era, Lorenzo, and Spandex Pod. Are we breaking up before I say what the questions are? Are we breaking up the green table? Should we make room? I, 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 it's definitely time for a pop-up. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> the questions are... Um, Legendary Era asks, do you think there's any chance at all Batwoman Legends of Tomorrow could get saved for one more season? Lorenzo wants to know, has anyone been interested in saving Legends of Tomorrow, like Netflix or, or any other platform? And Spandex Pod uh, is asking, why on earth hasn't Netflix or someone else contacted WTV to produce more seasons of Legends of Tomorrow? So this is very Legends of Tomorrow heavy with a, with a little side of Batwoman, um, which makes sense because they both have saved the show campaigns. Um, and since we're just going to break out the, the green table right now, um, the reason why Netflix isn't looking to pick up the shows is because there is not an audience big enough for Netflix to pick up the shows. And that is the truth, unfortunately. Yeah. And also, I don't think that any of the shows, not just Legends of Tomorrow, I'm not picking on Legends, that whole cluster of shows that were canceled at the CW... I don't think any of those were in any position to be shopped around, unfortunately. And that's just a business thing out of the control of the viewers. Am I correct in saying that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, okay. I'm with you on that. I totally agree with that. And I think the thing that makes this so complicated, and I've really thought about this and I really thought about how to word this, the thing that makes this so complicated is that for shows like Batwoman and Legends of Tomorrow, the very thing that would save them from any other situation is the very thing that is preventing them from going elsewhere this time. And that is Warner Brothers. At the end of the day, these shows were popular enough for Warner Brothers to keep making them, but the CW wanted to renew them for more seasons there was one buyer there and that was the CW. They wanted more, but Warner Brothers didn't. They did not want to pay the rent for the set and thus the shows could no longer be made. So Warner Brothers, the production company that has wanted to make these shows for so long is now under new leadership. And that would have been Legends and Batwoman's lifeline had they been on a network that had cancelled them. Make no mistake about them. The CW did not cancel Batwoman at Legends. Warner Brothers did. So, But the CW wanted to renew them for more seasons and Warner Brothers did not want to pay that rent. So I don't think even if Netflix or anyone else was interested, which they're not clearly, but if they were, I'm not sure that would have been enough to save them because Warner Brothers didn't want to pay the fee for the set. And to use a different example, you have this animated show, Batman Cape Crusader, that was being made for HBO Max. The new Warner Brothers leadership have decided they no longer want to make it for HBO Max, but the show ain't dead. They want to license that out for someone else to produce it instead. And apparently they have had offers from Netflix, from uh, Hulu, um, from Amazon, I think. So 
that is Warner Brothers wanting to license out another property. Clearly, they did not want to do that anymore with Legends and Batwoman. And that's a big issue with Warner Brothers. But unfortunately, that means that I don't think these shows will return in their original format. I do think we stand a good chance of maybe seeing Javier Leslie's Batwoman on the Flash's final season and maybe some of the Legends pop up either on the Flash's final season or in a TV movie years down the line. But I don't think... I don't think the shows will return in their original format. And I think a lot of that has that has to do with not just the issues at the CW at the moment, but the issues at Warner Brothers in general, because we're in a new era. Unfortunately, WB Day, wrongly, does not want those shows to be a part of it. And it is unfortunate um, because the other thing about the So what made everyone love the CW in terms of like the gear the basic guarantee that their show would continue on um, prior to the culling um, was that they didn't care about ratings. The, mm-hmm. Like we've said this a few times on the pod, I believe, but that ended up being um, a strike against them when it came to canceling the shows. When we say that there's not an audience, what we mean is that there is not a cap, like a, um, a way for them to see what viewers would turn, tune into. So what you get is 400,000 people tuned into um, this episode of Batwoman or this episode of Legends of Tomorrow. And then they look at the whole, the whole season and how many people overall tuned in for the entirety of the season and they would average that number. Like that, the CW's numbers are not good. So there, so if you were to be like, so you're like, but we have, if you're like, we have a, a movement going, clearly there is a fan base, clearly there's a loud, loud audience who wants it. Like, that's true. But as far as like the numbers go, they can only go by what like the, the, the ratings say. And so the ratings say that there is not a big enough audience to warrant being, uh, carrying another season on a different platform. Like the reason why other shows like Manifest and Lucifer and um, whoever else has been picked up by streaming platforms who were previously um, broadcasting shows is they had large millions of viewers tuned in. The networks canceled them. And those are two, like, I urge people not to conflate Lucifer and Manifest with these shows because mm-hmm. Lucifer was picked up by Netflix it was only a few years ago, but that was a completely different time in streaming. Like we have all of these streaming services trying to like restructure and think of their best interests in these studio. It's just, it's a mess. They're all individually putting out their own fires um, and manifest just because I'm going to get specific just because dynasty is in the top 10 of Netflix right now does not mean that show should return because it's not posting the same numbers as Manifest, which ended on a colossal cliffhanger. Like those, Manifest was an anomaly. Like that show came out of nowhere on Netflix and it had billions of viewing minutes. Like it was out of control. Like that was, there was a positive business interest in both Netflix and Warner Brothers striking a deal to bring that show back. Like it was just like a no brainer. And even though at the time Netflix was still having like, you know, a little bit of a mess. Mm-hmm. I think um, they were like, okay, I think we need to do this. Not for, I'm, I'm not going to complete that thought <laughs> moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just, like, I urge fans not to conflate success on a streaming service to mean that it should be saved because it's just the avenues are not there. There are roadblocks in place. And I just, 
I wish we could celebrate like, oh, it's, you know, going out on a high and the show already ended. So we don't need more. That's not the, to say the same for all the other shows. Um, but it's just, I don't think we ever had any indication that there was a road forward for any of them. It just seemed very final. And I think mm -hmm. um, it's difficult to accept that finality when it's your favorite show. Um, and that's not to say that you should like give up or let the show's uh, legacy die, like continue to talk about it, keep it alive. Um, but, you know, manage your expectations a little bit. And I do like, we should warn fans, like there's going to be another mass exodus on Netflix in five years when these shows inevitably leave. It's going to, it was going to happen all over again. They're all going to be canceled again. And they're all going to leave Netflix. <laughs> and it, I just realized that the other day I was like, Oh, all these shows are going to leave Netflix at the same time. I mean, predictably, I mean, we don't know mm -hmm. what's going to happen because all these shows have been doing weird things, but it could happen again. And then we can talk about it again. And maybe, you know, if we keep these shows alive, specifically Legends, I think I've said a million times, I think that show and Batwoman have the best opportunity to return in some form in the distant future. Like it's not happening now just because of the way everything is. But um, yeah, I don't know. I said something. I hopefully, hopefully it made sense and it wasn't too mean. <laughs> no, it did. It was honest uh, because I think at this point, honesty is, is the best policy. Um, and it's not to naysay the, the, the save the show movements just to have uh, realistic expectations of being able to move, to have additional content for the shows and to be aware of like the various ways that are different for each show that did get picked up by a streaming platform or another network. Um, and they will, I always feel like the producers, the showrunners, even the presidents of the network will kind of let you know whether or not it's it's viable. I mean, like when Magnum PI got canceled, they were like, yeah, we didn't want to continue licensing it. So everyone knew that like if NBC wanted their show back, since they were the majority producer on it, the main producer on it, they would take it back. And that's exactly what they did. <laughs> so um, it is just, you just have to be aware of the business situations. Some, sometimes the no is final. Sometimes it's a no because you're asking for a season and what you need is a TV movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. And I think the thing to take away from that for those two shows in particular, there is a way forward for the characters on them. But it, there's just I because of the way things are right now, and it's heartbreaking to say there isn't a way forward for the shows in their current form as they exist. The avenue that helped the two Warner Brothers one, there's a big roadblock there, and that's Warner Brothers themselves. It isn't going to happen in that capacity. But I am still going to be out there hoping and fighting that we see these characters again and they get the conclusions they deserve, because that's really what any fan can hope for. It's just, as Reid said, just about managing your expectations. For sure. Especially you don't want WB doing it right now. I just mm -hmm. read an article this morning that apparently they're fighting off rumors that they're going to join with Comcast. So it's, <laughs> it's messy over there. Yep. Very much so. <laughs> <laughs> They're not joining the Comcast, by the way. Apparently that is just a rumor and it has no validity. Uh, but to stay on the track of um, Warner Brothers Discovery, Brandy asked us what our thoughts are when it comes to um, them not releasing Batgirl, which was already filmed. I mean... It's been about a month and a half now and like my thoughts haven't changed on it. Like it was wrong. Um, can, can we drag Warner Brothers Discovery more than we already have? Um, 
it didn't make sense. And as the days go on and the weeks go on, you see more and more behind the scenes footage or uh, photographs and videos from Leslie Grace herself and just what that movie could have been. Um, you're talking to the Michael Keaton fan here, another movie with Michael Keaton's Batman, what that movie could have been. Um, it just that movie could have been so much. Um, so many people were excited for it. And among them all, the most important people were the cast and crew. They were very excited to produce something special, something rather innovative, and in that you have a, a superhero movie that isn't designed to be a big theatrical tentpole. It's designed to be a streaming movie, basically a modern day TV movie, but with a budget of a, a bigger film behind it. That's very exciting. It's just, I was so excited for that movie, more so than some of the other big screen ones that we're getting from DC, I will be honest. We've had many off-screen conversations about which DC movie I'm not looking forward to, which DC movies I'm on the fence about. But um, Batgirl was one of the ones I was most excited for because it was different. But at the end of the day, I loved the Batgirl character. I was always a fan of the Batgirl character. So I feel like it's a cliche at this point talking about a network both like the CW and HBO Max to say it deserved better. But if there's anything we can take away from this year, it's that all of those properties deserve better and Batgirl might have just found itself at the top of that list. For sure. I am glad though that they did they did a showing on the lot, right? Mm-hmm. For the families and the crew members. So they at least got to see their work. Um, because one of the things that, besides the fact that they scrapped it for tax reasons, what was bothersome is that they actually had never seen the full mm-hmm. product. Um, and I was like, they spent how long on it? And they have not even been able to see it finished. So like they unlocked the vault and they put it on for the families in the lot. And it was a nice time for them. And I wish we were able to see it. I know why we're not able to see it, but at least they got to. Um, and that's the part that's like a little balm for my heart, but I'm still mad. <laughs> it it should have came out. Without a doubt. I mean, I'm, yeah, you're right. I'm glad they got the fun- the funeral screenings, as it was called, um, to, to bid farewell to the felon. But like, did you ever think that'd be a sentence you'd say out, out loud? That's so yeah. I, I hate it. <laughs> I forgot that phrase. And when you just said it, I was like, oh my God, that's so, it just sets a really unfortunate precedent mm-hmm. that like you couldn't spend all your time making and making a movie or anything and all your hard work is just, and they're just like, eh, nah, I, I just, I don't like it. It feels icky. It does. Very much so. And I know that Warner Brothers is trying to do damage control by saying they love the cast and they're hoping to work with them again, which means that we may get to see. Why would they work with them again? Exactly. Which means we may get to see Leslie Grace's Batgirl in a different movie. But I'm like seeing Batgirl pop up in Justice League 4 or whatever they end up doing. It's hard. Better be good. (laughs) It's hardly the same thing. Let me in the the negotiation room. (laughs) (laughs) Tell it like it is. But it's hardly the same thing as seeing her headline her own movie. You know what I mean? Like, what are they going to do now? Batgirl, but it's a different Batgirl in the future. I don't know. But like the, the things were in the right place. That movie was shaping up to be something really different. And I think that's what DC needs right now. And it was just one bad, bad, bad creative choice after another. Yeah. Again, is it again? Is it too cliche to end with a deserved better? <laughs> No, but we will step away from that dumpster fire. Yeah. Um, that will hopefully Let it be burn. <laughs> Warner Brothers, <laughs> not that girl. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully the, the ship rights over there um, at some point. My goodness. Um, but moving on to Sophia's question. Spolivia, as in Spencer and Olivia, or Jamone, Jordan, or Simone, ship-wise? Am I the only one able to answer this question? 
I think you are mm-hmm. because I could pick Jordan and Simone, I guess by default, just because I only have spent time with them, but it wouldn't be fair. So I will, you know, let you take this one. You were the expert. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, I going to pick Bolivia. Uh, not that I did not like Jordan and Simone. I did like Jordan and Simone. I thought that they're very, for their situation, which was that they had a one night stand and then she was pregnant and saying that it was his baby, but it was not his baby. And she knew that it was, um, it was, uh, oh, I forget the boy's name, but he's absolute garbage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and Jordan stepped up and they, they, they were, they were friends and then they fell in love and he really wanted to be there for her before she put the baby up for adoption. Um, and he had total plans to help her raise the child. It was very beautiful. Their story is gorgeous. Um, I am just not like if we're talking about shipping and not like storytelling and liking a relationship, it's Spencer and Olivia for me. I've liked Spencer and Olivia since the first episode of All American and him and Layla were fine. I mean, they were fine, but I was like, okay, but when is he getting with Olivia? Because I know what has to be coming came in in season three. Um, But like, they're honestly beautiful. Um, They still together. They're still together. Uh, we're in a rough patch uh, co- going into to season five because of the because um, of her investigating his coach who is um, doing something he should not be doing uh, when it comes to the players. But they are best friends and they've been like best friends since the beginning. They were deterred off their romance because at one point Jordan did not have all the facts and he thought that um Spencer was related to them, that he was their brother. So Olivia- See, back- I was going to bring that up because that's like the only thing I know about All-American because I watched the first four episodes. <laughs> and I was like, how are they together? <laughs> so like they, the, the truth came out and that's not, they're not related at all. Um, so- That's great to hear. Yes. <laughs> and I believe, and they share no siblings. So we're, we're, we're good on that front too. Um, but the way that they speak with one another, the way that they're able to calm one another, um, and they understand each other's perspectives so well, um, and root for one another. Uh, not to mention, he took a bullet for her uh, when uh, he jumped right in front of her, and I'm just like, Layla, girl, the top, the clock is ticking. I'm so sorry. <laughs> He's never actually fallen out of love with um, Olivia. So I, I, it's Olivia for me. It'll be Olivia all day, every day. Jordan and Simone are great. However, I'm also a Damon and Simone shipper. So uh, this is true. This is true. Things have changed. Things have changed. So um, peace to Jordan and Simone. If they get back together at any point, um, which Crystal would be excited about. I will like like give everybody the flowers that they deserve because they are a good relationship. I just don't ship them. I just really like them. Uh, next question. Uh, Debbie wants to know what our comfort shows are for the CW. Hmm. I'm trying to think of the, if there's any that are not, I have not talked about, but I, you know, I think giving myself the parameters of shows that have originated on the CW or have spent most of their runs on the CW. So like I'm excluding Gilmore Girls because I just don't think it's fair. Um, 90210 currently on season four right now. Cause you know, you need a little, I need a little bit of comfort. Um, I'm sure Dynasty will be a comfort show in the future. It isn't quite yet. I haven't lived with it enough yet. Um, and also Heart of Dixie. Title's a little rough now, but um, I do love the show. 
I don't have comfort shows for the CW. Um, I Serena's love like, them. I don't know comfort at the CW yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I really don't, though. It, it's, is it weird to have comfort ships? Um, I don't think no. so. I guess I don't actually watch like full seasons over again. I watch clips. Um, like, so whenever I want to feel <laughs> comfort, I think I go watch West Allen. <laughs> yes, that's a good choice. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, I, when shows are on air, I'll go watch like my ships and whatnot. But like my comfort ships are West Allen and Bolivia. Ah, yeah it would have been Bellamy and Clark but we know how that ended I still love them immensely but would I describe them as a comfort ship now well no actually I would we're just gonna ignore season seven so it never (laughs) happened we don't know that (laughs) yes so like yeah Bellamy and Clark um Bolivia and West Allen are my comfort ships love that great choices um for me, I mean, like, it's obviously, I have to say the Arrowverse shows, but I mean, like, if there's one that brought me comfort the most, it would be Supergirl because I did rewatch it leading up to the final season. And oh, man, it sounds weird uh, praising the first season, even though it was a CBS show, but you get the point. Um, uh, Supergirl would definitely be on. I love rewatching Legends of Tomorrow because it's so bonkers. The first season of The Flash, just, oh, man, beautiful. Um, Arrow's first two seasons and the last season as well. Everything in between was a little... Um, and then of course the Vampire Diaries I've rewatched the first six seasons of it a few times never quite made it to the end though um, so yeah I've had a lot of CW comfort shows it's probably like Reed it's probably too early to put Dynasty up there but it did bring me a lot of comfort and escapism this year when I needed it um, so I will stick it on the list anyway but yeah I, I, we're, I know we're so critical of this network but my goodness has it produced so many shows that I just feel like a little comfort blanket when you sit down to watch them and I think if they stay with you like that it was successful in the end and I feel like all of the ones I just mentioned are that to me so nice so the CW can bring comfort in some fashion (laughs) (laughs) um, this is like analogous so Angie wants to know what our favorite CW shows are Um, I'll start I guess Currently, so All American, All American Homecoming, the 100 with exception to season seven, um, and possibly even season six. It was right out here. Um, what else? The Flash. Um, as much as I lovingly drag that show, there is something magical about those first few seasons mm-hmm. of The Flash. Um, honestly, well, not the Airverse in general, but well, kind of the Airverse in general, like not all the shows, but just what it is on the CW. The fact that it's like a whole connected universe um, was pretty cool. And oh, what else? It was like right there. Superman and Lois. Love Superman and Lois. Um, I think I'm going to stop just with the current CW. Oh, One Tree Hill. That has to be there. The first mm-hmm. three seasons, first three seasons. Hmm. Again, I'm like, how do I not repeat myself? <laughs> the ones I just mentioned, um, currently airing, I, I think I have to give it to Nancy Drew right now. Mm, yeah. Unless things take a drastic turn in like season two, which I don't foresee happening. I just, every time I watch the show, I'm like, this feels like other shows. It just feels like an extension of my soul. <laughs> you know, like when you watch a show <laughs> and you're like, this was like made with me in mind. Um, I also really love, life unexpected that's another one that i watched it and i was like did they specifically create the show with my own interests like it's it was crazy when i first watched it um 
I'm sure there's a million that I'm forgetting, but yeah, there's so many. So long, and there's so many shows. And like, yeah, we'll get off the pod, and then we'll be like, oh my god, I can't believe I didn't say this show. <laughs> I know. Just as I finished the comfort shows, I was like, you never said Star Girl, but now here's the perfect chance to say Star Girl. Um, uh, Superman at Lois as well, of course. Um, all of the ones I just mentioned, the originals, although I didn't finish that. Um, there's so many, so many, but yeah, um, currently hearing all of the ones I just mentioned with the exceptions of the ones that were just cancelled recently. Yeah, I know, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and Nancy Drew, of course, to be like Reed. Um, yeah, I agree. Just watching that show weekly has brought me so much joy. I hope by the time we reach the current seasons, we feel the same way. But yeah, um, yeah, I love this network. What can I say? Um, okay, well, speaking of Stargirl, though, so our last question um, is from Kenny. And considering the question is how likely are we to get news on Stargirl before the weekend, this answer is going to come on a Monday, but um, the likelihood you would probably know by now, Kenny, is that the zero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so the, for the, I believe it was one of the cast members who said that um, they were going to get news about mm-hmm. Stargirl at the end of the month. They are going to get news. That doesn't mean we are going to get news. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was um, Amy Smart, who plays Barbara, um, Courtney's mother, who said they're hoping to find out by the end of the month. And of course, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be the start of the next month. So, I mean, maybe the cast will have heard, we'll say. Um, but I I hope we hear soon. Like at the end of the day, the season of Stargirl was filmed and completed months ago. It was made for last season, not this season. So the cast and crew can't be hanging on forever. So I assume they'll find out maybe within days, I don't know. Um, but I hope we find out soon because I don't want to be hanging on for forever as well. Um, I know there's a lot of anxiety because, given because the Stargirl is the only show that hasn't had a decision made about it after the mass cancellation. Every single show, Barrett and Tom Swift never had a decision made. Tom Swift had an unfortunate decision made about it. So that just leaves Stargirl. So I hope we hear soon because uh, the Stargirl fans need to know. I need to know. And of course the cast need to know. But um yeah, I, I do think we will hear soon within the next few weeks. I just don't know if it'll be within the next few days, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have to give it a chance to relaunch first. I mean, mm, how, very true. would you believe hearing on um, Tuesday that it got cancelled, but we're supposed to be launching um, her fall segment with the rest of everybody else? on that Wednesday, like CW can't plan that terribly, could you? <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, I don't trust them in the slightest, but I hope we have enough faith in them that they would not do that to us. I know. So uh, probably, I don't know, if we had to estimate the week after next yeah. um, for Stargirl News. Yeah, because it gives it a chance to relaunch um, and it's close enough to the end of last month. I say last month, like we're not still in it, but it, retroactively speaking, it's close enough to the end of September as well, just to take everything into account. Um, and yes, manifesting good news. Yes, manifesting and that's the end of our Q&A section of the pod. That was really fun. That I enjoyed fun. it. So much fun. So much fun. Such great questions, Ty. Yes. Thank you, guys. Uh, and now we're going to launch into what we're watching, which is great because Nancy's at the top this time um, yeah. for, for the discussion for episode 11. Um, I want to start by saying I love how much they used Lucy in this episode. Mm-hmm. Definitely. She's been that recurring presence for so long. 
And now I feel like she was literally taking Nancy by the hand and pointing her in certain directions. Mm-hmm. It's been interesting because she was very much an antagonistic presence at the start, whereas now it feels bestie sounds too close, but it definitely feels like there's some kind of unspoken rapport between the two of them. Like Lucy knows Nancy's the one that's going to solve for murder here. So she's not... She, she, of course, she's terrifying, of course, but she's not. Uh, it feels like that animosity and that antagonism isn't directed towards Nancy now. The two of them are very much working together, and I love that about it. Same, and all the water dripping. I mean, those hardwood floors are getting messed up, but all the water, <laughs> all the water dripping is so, is so nice. And you know that she led the. Well, I guess the opening sequence uh, was quite intriguing. As it, like, oh. oh okay girl right. but I was like, oh wait this is a dream yeah it's a dream. <laughs> oh my god i know that was crazy <laughs> I, know, I, I, I said last week nancy was very much at a crossroads when it came to the men in her life i was like i was not expecting it to literally manifest like that in the opening scene of the next episode mm-hmm. yeah like that was attention grabbing without a doubt for sure and i got some juice and crumbs which i thought we were done but we were not i mean like yes the 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 um the sign is on the door we are on our way out we're just closing we're getting closure as we move further and further into the next relationships but i appreciated it yeah it was like a it was like a pathway to nick and george mm-hmm. she was she was a little bit jealous she was and communicative i mean yeah. that's who she is as a person but the fact that we weren't just like it wasn't immediate closed off. She told him what was wrong. Um, and and he also like stepped in front of her and was like, it didn't push me away. What's wrong? And so then she answered it. I appreciate that about their relationship. I also like, I was like, how hard in the end game did you want to go? He's, he, he bought half of the restaurant. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Overnight. <laughs> we always say they're not planting crumbs here or like planting seeds or like it's full blown tree at this point. I know, my goodness. And I wish they had actually let us see him carve his name next to hers under one of the mm. tables. Maybe yeah. we will. No, yeah, okay. I want that. I don't know, as a Jewish shipper who's in mourning, I don't know if I'm going to become a phantom shipper. Um, and I'm not even really on the boat of, of um, Nancy and A simply because we haven't quite got there. But Fanson is rather adorable. And I appreciate mm-hmm. how... Um, how they work well together and that she was like get a project and he was like fine i'll get yours <laughs> <laughs> it's very different to um nick's relationship with nancy and i think that's why it thrives really well and you got to see the two of them kind of contrast and i know george took a bit of offense at the fact that nick, nick just dropped everything and followed nancy but i do think that at the end of the day there was some there was an important thing to do here yes it certainly looked like he was yet again just dropping everything because nancy needed his help but of course there was an important problem at hand here and i do think of at the end of the episode him and george find that common ground here and i think there's definitely like um like it feels like there's a level playing field between the two of them and you didn't always get that with nick and nancy because the, the way she would sometimes trail him on or wouldn't talk to him or whatever there it never felt like they were on a level with each other. Whereas because we have that like automatic ground from the foundation uh, friendship between uh, Nick and George, it thrives in conversations like that. And I really like seeing them on screen. They're a wonderful partnership, regardless of whether they're heading in the romantic uh, direction or not. The dynamic's great. I think it showed his loyalty too. Like, even though he was kind of just like disappearing to help Nancy, it was like, he's loyal to be a helpful friend and 
I understand where George is coming from. Like, it's hard to zoom out when it feels like it's at the expense of uh, your, herself. Like, mm-hmm. she's like, you left helping me to help somebody else. Like, what? Um, but to me, I was like, oh, he's loyal. But it it just looks so, it's, you know, it's a weird situation to be in. Like, when he was explaining himself, he was like, I'm, I wasn't running after Nancy. I was, like, helping but like on Georgia's side, I was like, I'm I'm in both sides of these this argument. Like I understand both of it, um, and that, I feel like that's always the best writing when you can mm-hmm. when they effectively communicate what each character is feeling, and both of them are correct or can be correct for sure. And his thing, the one this one thing was you should have said bye, like you were literally talking to her before Nancy came in. You sat down with Nancy, and then you were just gone. Mm-hmm. Like, I um, so like, yes, you needed to go help someone, but uh, uh, George, I'm leaving. It would have been <laughs> yeah, like a quick, like, Hey, got a, a BRB. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he did not do that. So, but I love how like, it wasn't an over the top sort of annoyance on her part. Mm-hmm. It was just the right amount of annoyance to be like, you dropped me. And I came out with things to shuck. I thought we were going to, we were bonding. <laughs> like, um, so I, I do like them. watch me become a huge shipper, but <laughs> you might. You know what I also love about the show, which I was thinking about, and I kept thinking about it throughout the episode, and like I had to rewind a bunch of times because I kept like drifting off. Um, that's to no fault of the show; it was just me. Um, there are so many instances where like there are things that I've questions that I've had about the show. Like I was like, "How is the claw making money?" Or like, "When is Bess going to be British again?" Or there's something else I think, but they always answer it like yeah. so quickly. And I was like, I love that. Like when I have natural questions as just a viewer and a fan and they, the show knows that like it, it's, I don't, I was, I was just obsessed with that. I was like, oh, I got both of those things answered <laughs> so quick after I asked them and they're yeah. not like super important, but it was just like, as a fan, those like little things you pick up on you're like, why isn't this happening? And then they're like, here it is. Shut up. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, great. Thank you. <laughs> but there are opportunities for character development and exploration mm-hmm. too. Um, because learning all about how George, they, like the people of the claw fed her and her sisters, like that she has her name carved into all, all basically all the furniture. Um, that there's there was someone she was answering to when it came to the amount of um, money she was bringing in. There's a reason why she's been stressed out this entire time about the claw being empty. Um, I, re- I, I know that Nick was the inquirer, but at first I was like, not her doing all of this. And for that lady to pop in, like she did nothing. And was just like, I'm still going to sell. Right. <laughs> I know. I thought she was gonna be like, oh, this is amazing. JK. And then, oh my God, Dawn. Hashtag Dawn is over party. <laughs> but I, I agree. And I feel like they didn't just make like those two moments you mentioned, uh, Bass and George and the Claw, of course, they didn't just address them. They did, like Sabrina said, made them important character moments. And it feels like even though, of course, the Lucy and the Nancy stuff was very much at the center of this episode, none of those stories felt important. And it's amazing how like even the best one then tied into uh, the main one in the end because Bess and the Marvins were having dinner with the Hudsons when Nancy burst in. Um, it all came together really nicely, but at the same time, it didn't come at the expense of character development. They actually enhanced the character both characters because again you got to see how important the call was to george they did answer the call wasn't making money it was in dire straits um 
if George went to Ryan for help and he couldn't help because his money was tied up. So it, it was all, it all added really benefited the overall story. I feel like they told these stories at the exact right time because they had so much rich stuff going on around it that ultimately helped to thrive. Another thing, yeah, and I remember saying last week, I was like, the only men that I trust are Nick and Ace, and then the show's like, uh, well, Ryan's about to do the right thing, and Carson also might do the right thing, and I was like, I'll believe it when I see it, but you're making (laughs) points. Meanwhile, Owen's acting all shady, even if he did have the right intention. I don't trust him. I know. So, like, am I supposed to just, like, accept that Bess is a Marva now and, like, that all, like, sorted itself out? Or are we going to get more on that? I think I want to say that we're going to get more on that because it was interesting. Like, did he know that the, did he know that Lisbeth is a cop? I have no idea, but that whole sequence, let's just dive into it, was incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought Nancy was just like taking the ship down, but I, lo- oh my God, I love being tricked by her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think there has to be more to this. There has to be. Um, but yeah, not only did she walk in like a boss and take down the most odious, powerful man on the show in an instant, she had like Lisbeth and the FBI as backup. It just, it all, it all, it all worked out beautifully. Um, yeah. Like, I, and I love the fact that it made Nancy question herself because we did say as great a character as she is, she's very much flawed. And as each episode goes on, she learns she learns a little bit more about herself, who she wants to be, but also who she doesn't want to be. And I think this episode played with all of that beautifully. And the very last sequence of all when they took down the Hudsons played with us beautifully because we didn't know which side she'd ultimately fallen on. Yes, it was so it was so good because it was also messy. I loved how Bess was really trying to eat her bland soup. <laughs> and like these <laughs> like the, the Hudson's and the Marvins were just trading barbs and she's like, I, I just wanted to be a part of a family. Yeah. And what is this? And then now her is Diana wants her to to um make a strategic alliance with uh, what is her name? Amaya, which of course is gonna mess up her relationship with Lisbeth. She's like, you can just be friends as a Diana. You want to marry um, her to Amaya. They can't just be friends. That's going to be a mess. I I think I ship. uh, I'm going to call it Liz, Liz Bess. Oh, I like that. It doesn't really roll off the tongue, but (laughs) (laughs) I really love them in this episode, the way she, Lisbeth kind of inspires Bess to accept herself. Like she didn't bat an eye when Bess was like, I live in a van. She was like, you have the coolest trinkets I've ever seen. <laughs> like she didn't care. And she inspired her to, to be herself and be British, which I love. And again, I had to Google to make sure that she was British in real life. Cause I was like, I'm so confused because she does both accents really well. I was like, so what is the truth? <laughs> <laughs> Their character moments. It's a great episode for, for characters. Um, and one, I love the just to go on the effects for the show. Besides the what they were doing with Lucy, especially when she pops up into the dreary family painting that looks mm. like it's a CWP art for some. <laughs> well, it looked like the revenge poster from that old <laughs> from that show on ABC. Yeah, like uh, who hangs that in their home? <laughs> <laughs> but I also love the practical effects. I'm, I'm assuming those practical effects of the haunting in. Um, Oh, I forget the, the character's name, but the, the haunting um, and the survivor of the mm-hmm. Bonnie Scott's apartment with all the water and the people digging on the glass. I was, was like, great. I couldn't believe that 
Nancy and Nick could see that as well. Mm, yeah, that's the thing. Because you see in so many shows like Ghost of Spur or whatever, when someone's experiencing a vision, only the person is experiencing the vision. <laughs> so Jennifer Love Hewitt standing in a <laughs> town square talking to herself. <laughs> I mean, where is the lie? Um, but the, the fact that Nick and Nancy could see it as well, the fact that then you got to see it also from like a a three-dimensional approach that you could see him holding on to the window and everything. It made it very realistic, very authentic and very real. It sounds so cliche to say, but it made it feel so much, that much more realer the way it was approached. And also the camera tilting to give this, the ship effect. It was very, it was very realistic and really brought us into it. And as the show continues to toy with the supernatural without ever fully going into it. But you did get the teaser that it, the visions only started happening three weeks before, which is when they did the seance. So they're very much responsible for opening that door to the supernatural. Um, so again, it was such a realistic episode, but at the same time, really, really, really played with the supernatural elements in a very tangible kind of way. And I thought that was brilliant. Yes, and Nick didn't leave the man's side. He came mm-hmm. back to make sure that... Um, what they thought would correct it actually did correct it again such a smart show i love it so much (laughs) now i'm not going to pretend that i fully understood what was happening with the bonnie scott because i was like spent most of the episode trying to be like okay where did this originate why are we talking about this why is it important and at some point i was like you know what i'm just gonna let you know go on this journey go on the ride eventually i think i um, now i understand like why we're where we're at um so for the whole episode, I was kind of like, do I like this episode? But I really did enjoy the episode. Um, I like the way that they can weave in and out of the the larger mystery and go down like the little nooks and crannies that we're probably not expecting. Um, but I think we're gearing up for some big episodes and some answers. Mm-hmm. For sure. Because when it was the opening of the episode and you find out that Nancy's mom was Lucy's guidance counselor. And I was like, how entangled are her parents in Lucy's story? Because it's fishy out here. Like, and then she found the the papers in the creepy family photo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love the fact that that was the big mystery at the start of the episode. And then the episode became about her finding the papers even though that wasn't the center of the episode. So they did a good job of delaying the story. We're not really going to know what that means until maybe the next episode or the episode after that. But it made this one really important because when Nancy was busy trying to find that, she also eh, took down the Hudson's, no big deal. So it's just, there's so many layers to the story and to keep peeling back one of them and then moving over to the other one and never feels like they're meandering around the story. It all feels like an important part of the story. Mm -hmm. One last thing, I have to praise our girl Kennedy again. There is the scene, I don't remember who said it, but whoever she was talking to called her a college dropout. And she was like, <laughs> first of all, I didn't apply. It's different. <laughs> and it was, she had the the greatest line reading of like, it was really funny in like an episode that was pretty heavy. Like mm-hmm. she, we never really get to see Nancy be humorous. She's always so serious. So I, I loved uh, Kennedy's line reading of that. It was amazing. She's so great. She always, it is everything in the way that she acts in her body, the way that she gives her line delivery, the, um, she's a great listener mm-hmm. when, as, as an actor, um, there's always something going on in her face. My favorite line delivery from her was when Owen was like, is it about Nick after they kissed? And she was like, not everything's about a guy. And she drove, <laughs> drove away. away like a baller. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> 
<laughs> it left them in such an unanswered kind of territory because that whole episode I feel like this was because of the dream she had that was the moment where she kind of realized she did want them and she was getting annoyed that he was ghosting her and didn't understand why and then by the end of it we're very much in a different place so I don't know whether that's supposed to be toying with her suspicions as when it comes to Owen but clearly Nancy's not certain of an awful lot of things or maybe the way Owen was in this episode made her certain in a different way I don't know it's a very interesting dynamic and I'm looking forward to seeing how it Vallops as the season goes on because I feel like we're heading towards a big moment for them as well and I'm not really sure what that is same I, I don't think she actually likes him but we'll see I, I, she was comparing him to Nick but more so about the moral compass issue mm-hmm. I don't think she he would do anything for his family so she's very wary of that mm-hmm. I wonder if we're going to see that pop up in episode 12 Ah, we're six episodes away from the end <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I like counting down because I'm like, how much story do we have left? They're so smart. Um, but I'm always like, mm-hmm. what, what are they building to? So much. <laughs> but speaking of moral compasses and the lack thereof, family law. Um, what do you guys think? It was giving 2012 to me, which was funny because the ending song is a song by Metric. Oh, the song that's playing is from 2012. <laughs> <Yeah>. Wow, <laughs> you were right on the nose there. Yeah. <laughs> to me, it was kind of, it, it didn't feel like a CW show mm-hmm. unless it, it was just like a very like sterile kind of like, uh, like life sentence, the one with Lucy Hale, just like in tone, mm-hmm. not in story. It just felt like those kinds of CW shows where it's just like about a family or whatever. Um, it was sort of like if the USA Network started making hallmark content that's what it was giving Mm -hmm. to me it was like slightly edgy but not cw edgy Mm -hmm. and that's not Mm -hmm. to say it's bad i don't think it's a negative thing at all um that's just an initial observation of the vibe (laughs) yeah yeah um on the same note what i had written down was in my notes was very network i very network tv but CW isn't the network. And that makes sense because it wasn't designed for the CW. It's obviously more mature than your content on the CW. Work with me on this. Um, if the CW was like with it, with its teen programs, with its superhero stuff, the, the network to maybe the uh, wider audience is a very happy ever after quality about it. Family Law kind of, they're nothing alike, but Family Law reminds me a bit of Superman at Lois and that it's kind of a more mature story and that it's, what happens after the happy ever after? What happens after the credit roll? And you get to see that it's not always happy ever after. Of course, Superman always goes for a much more uplifting, heroic quality, but family law is more authentic, something that kind of like that. It's definitely very, it's, it's more mature beyond the CW's core audience. And I know that's what they're trying to change. Although maybe was that acquired before the new buyers? I don't know, but it kind of works in the direction they're going. It feels like it definitely would, I know it's a Canadian TV series, but it feels like it definitely would have worked on one of the bigger networks. Um, Maybe in five years from now, we'll look back and say it absolutely worked on the CW as part of its new direction. Not sure Sunday night's going to help that. But yeah, I definitely feel like there are qualities of it that work on the CW, but it's not and never will be an inherently CW show, if that makes sense. It does. Um, for for it to be a legal drama, I was hoping a little bit more fast paced since it was going to be um, different from what's usually on the CW. But it kind of it doesn't meander, but it is very slow. It's it's definitely about the family and all of their dysfunction. Um, I, Abigail as a character, she's 
quite abrasive. Um, and I knew that she was going to have a hard time in her father's law firm. I didn't realize how much she was going to like brush up against her siblings um, in the way that she does. But I did. One of the things I did like is that as you move through the episode, you learn that it's not all on her. Like there are different things that are, have happened. Like um, her husband cheated. Um, and that's not the reason why she drank, but they have other issues besides the fact that she is an alcoholic. Um, her father is not that great. Victor Garber is great in the role, but her father is not the best of men. Mm -hmm. Um, I did like her sister though, in the way that Abigail popped that bubble when all she wanted to do (laughs) was, um, bring her in. Um, but it also kind of worked because it was like, you're, you're very bright eyed and bushy tailed, but you really should be aware of who she is as a person. And bright-eyed and bushy-tailed is not going to work with her, especially if she walks away from you in the crosswalk and tells you that your father would have left your mother if she had not died. Ooh, that was a low blow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. She thinks it's honesty, but to other people, it hurts their feelings. I don't know. <laughs> like, I kind of liked Abigail, and I think it was partly due to the actress. She was very, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed watching her. Um, but I think me kind of liking her was designed in the script because for every scene that we get where Abigail's being like confident and slightly rude and abrasive as you said we get a scene where it's like we see who she is behind all of that she's mm-hmm. a she's a mother who wants to see her daughter but her daughter doesn't want to see her and she's you know she's got all these things stacked up against her um so I I found myself throughout the whole episode. I was like, should I like her? Or are they trying to make me, am I being like, um, I don't want to say gaslit because that's not the right word, but am I being like coerced into feeling empathy for her? Mm-hmm. Um, it, honestly, it's not that deep. It's just like a, it's supposed to be like a heartwarming show. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking a little bit too deeply about it, but um, I, I don't know. I enjoyed it for what it is. I'm not sure if I would continue watching just because legal dramas don't do it for me. Um, but it was cute. It wasn't what I was expecting. Um, mm-hmm. in the beginning, I was like, I don't like this. And then by halfway, I was like, I'm kind of like, I would like watch this if there was a marathon and there was nothing else on. That's like yeah. a really high compliment though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I get that. And I feel like when I first saw the trailer, I thought it was going to be like full-blown sitcom because this concept would absolutely work as a sitcom. Like there's so much like comedic value that the pilot plays with but of course it leans into the drama more so because it wants to be more of a dramedy than anything else but you absolutely could have made this concept work as a 30 minute sitcom um but there's it's called family law and it's more about the family than the law which makes sense and i do agree with all the feelings you felt about abigail in that the show very much sets up that we're supposed to be on her side um but at the same time You see from the other family's point of view, of course, the father's at fault here for a lot of it, but the other siblings aren't necessarily. So we don't get to spend as much time with them as we do with Abigail. So obviously you're on Abigail's side for a lot of it. You you understand what she's going through because you get a good character study of that in the pilot. I feel like maybe as the show goes on, we'll get more of the family. I will say I did not like Victor Garber. I love Victor Garber in Titanic. I loved him in The Flash and Letters of Tomorrow. I did not like Victor Garber in this. And that is an absolute uh, sign of how well Victor Garber did. 
and he he definitely has that overarching presence and that like he's like the big draw for the show but he's never going to be the main character because it's very much told through abigail's eyes and i think that really worked for me i love what reed said that you would absolutely flick it on in a marathon because i was like i'm not sure i can keep up with the show weekly but i would happily binge through 10 episodes on a sunday evening i think it absolutely works for that i did enjoy it i am attached enough to these characters to want to continue the story i don't think it i still don't think it feels like cw but there are CW qualities to it. I said it already. There's enough in there to keep me intrigued and I think I will keep up on and I'm just not sure I can keep up on it on a weekly basis, if that makes sense. Uh, for myself, I will not be keeping up at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> get into it, see, get into it. <laughs> I do see the potential in it, um, but as someone who does like case-by-case um, case shows, um, the case for this premiere episode turned me off. Um, it was, I liked that they were able to track down, um, the girl's biological father and that he wanted to be a part of her life. I didn't like that the impetus for why we end up in the courtroom is because Abigail's feeling terrible about her own situations. And so she like pushes the woman to seek retroactive, um, child support because the man wants to be a father and she is not in the same tax bracket as him. And she's feeling down because they got the girl an iPhone. They spent a thousand dollars on her wardrobe and they did not ask her. They're making a room for her. And now the baby girl wants to be there every other week. Like the mom is having a rough time. And I was like, that's why we're in the court and she's going to win. I know she's going to win in some fashion. And she did. And it's good that he's going like, to, I figured he was going to do child support anyway, moving forward. The retroactive child support of what, $50,000, was fine. The um, but they were seeking four hundred and ninety nine thousand dollars because the girl's thirteen years old, and instead of going back three years, they wanted to go back the whole thirteen. And I was like, I, why is this the case? Like, if the woman had wanted to be, if she wanted to seek retroactive um, child support, and and Abigail was supporting that, that's one thing. Because it happens because Abigail's in a rough spot, and she just wants to like prove herself. I'm like, girl, I'm, I'm, I want to turn it off. I have to finish this pod, but I want, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I want to turn it off. Um, but I do see a place for it on the CW, not as a CW show, but yes, as something that people will flick on if they don't have anything coming on on Sunday and want to give it a try. Um, that's not to say that it's not a decent show that has the potential to be good and, and move forward into great. Um, I think that when it ends and you see that the heart that she was covering up actually has um, her husband and her two children's name in it, very, very heartwarming on the nose, exactly what it needed to do. And I was like, oh, I hope everything works out for her. I'll find out via like a social <laughs> post or something. So long story short, don't expect weekly reviews. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a very fair way to end this weekly review. <laughs> uh, but we do have one more review um, before you know this pod ends, and I have seen the All American Homecoming season two premiere. Um, it does connect back to the All American um, season five premiere, so please do watch the two hour block of television on Monday, October tenth, starting at eight p.m. with the All American season five. Um, premiere with All American Homecoming season two premiering on at nine o'clock. Uh, we're still doing the holiday theme. Uh, it's it's they're back at college and their college schedule is interesting to me because it's still December. Um, they they don't have a whole month off apparently. Um, it's in fact they are a day or two shy of New Year's Eve. 
Mm. And so Keisha decides to throw a New Year's Eve party. Um, but it, it doesn't use the holiday as well as All American Season 5 does. It's kind of like if you didn't know it was New Year's Eve and they just wanted to throw a party, um, she just would have been throwing a party and you would have not have known the difference with the um, exception to, of course, the countdown. Everyone does the countdown at the end of New Year's. I enjoyed it, though. Um, comparing it to its parent show, I think All American Homecoming Season 2's premiere is better Um not that I didn't enjoy All American Season 5s, but that's an angst fest, and this is tension. Um, and it does really well to, like, after you come off of the Season 5 premiere, it does really well to give you tension and lightness and drama in the way that um, All American kind of does. And, you, and All American, you're like, okay. But you um, you come into All American Homecoming Season 2, and it's like, oh, we fight in. What's <laughs> Um, like in there, everyone is trying to still navigate what happened at the end of their finale for season one. Um, I do like that we're balancing just enough story. It's not too many plots. Of course, we are coming into like, how's Amara as president? How did Simone feel about Christmas? Um, now that she's, she's back, how are Cam and Keisha doing? Um, and Spencer's here. I love seeing Spencer um, in the All-American show. Um, there's this one thing I think I can say this because um, it's just a line. He repeatedly says, I'm just here watching. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you can tell how much fun he's having not being the center of attention, um, which was a cute meta way of them being like, you're not you're not getting much from Spencer besides his, his face and his appearance and, and his conversations with everybody and the drama that they're dealing with. Um, I think it does a nice job of weaving the thread into the needle of what's set to come um, because there's a lot of tension. Of course, there is explosion and it's not just um, Jordan and Damon get into a fight in the equipment room uh, for reasons that you can pretty much guess of why. And um, I'm liking the direction everyone's stories are going to be going in so far. I like that Simone is um, the top six, you know, and feeling out what that what that is, uh, what that means for her. But coming back with Thea and Damon and how their relationship was over um, over the break. Uh, what else happened? Um, I think they're just really this. Oh, can I say this part? I'm hoping I can see. you know what we're gonna table it just in case we can't. <laughs> oh no, I can because he is in it. Of course, you should be expecting a conversation between Jordan and Simone since he's on campus. Um, so if like you were not, if you watch All American season five premiere and you're like, where are we going with this with Simone and Jordan? You were probably gonna appreciate their scenes um in All American Homecoming. They're overdue. Um, and I enjoyed it. Um, I'm trying to think, not me tapping on the table. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of, of what else I can say without spoiling it because this is a spoiler free review. And a lot of the times it's just like, everything that they say you can't talk about is a mm, thing right. that everyone wants to know. Um, but it's enjoyable. It's a very good season two um, premiere. Um, and it's just great that All American Homecoming really does have its own tone. Watching the two premieres back to back, you can just tell there is something different about All American Homecoming. It just does, it doesn't feel like a regurgitated version of a show that we already mm-hmm. um, know. And I laughed. 
like more than once while watching. Um, so that's an indication of how enjoyable it is. I can't wait till the rest of the season starts. Um, and, you know, I know we're not sports people, but um, the sports seasons are about to start on All American Homecoming, which is good because I need to see some sports in the sports drama. <laughs> Besides like the, the friendly tennis match or um, them practicing on the baseball field. I'm excited to watch. I caught up on season one, so I'm ready for season two. I think you're going to really like the premiere. Like I really do. Because it was, a, I kept going, oh, ooh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. Walker Independence starts Thursday, October 6th. And it was really, really exciting. Um, I got to talk to Lawrence Cow about his character, Kai. Uh, so this is the interview. And of course they can't give us too much, but I love talking about the history of um, that they're putting into this show. Enjoy. For me, Walker Independence is the show coming to the CW in the fall. Um, so I'm very excited because it's going to be a period piece set in the West. So what drew you to the role of Kai in the show as a whole? I think just this show as a whole is trying to do something different. When you look at the cast, um, there are so many diverse characters already. Um, there's a queer character, there, there's a black character, you know, there's an Asian character. And usually you, you don't see those kinds of stories fleshed out in something like this, like, like in a Western. Yeah, these, these characters would exist, but then we, we would never go ahead and explore the backstories behind um, <clears throat> what makes these characters human. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing that drew me to the project. Um, the team behind the project is so amazing too. Um, our showrunner, Seamus, um, uh, producers, Larry Tang, and, um, you know, all the people involved, um, just, uh, you know, got me really excited about this and it's a Western, you know, like the opportunity for, you know, a, a guy that looks like me, a Chinese guy to be in a Western. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And right off the bat in the pilot, they, they open up your character immediately with Abby. Like there's, it's, there's very like historical points. I love that they mentioned that he's a railroad worker previously, and now he wants to open his restaurant, but is currently working as a laundryman. Will we get more bits of Kai's past, or is the show going to focus more on his future dreams and what he's doing in the present? Um, I think what happens in the present is definitely facilitated by his past and things that have happened beforehand. Um, There are so many things about him that the audience will learn to discover as the season progresses. Um, You know, Kai is, uh, he's trying to make, he's trying to find himself again and, and, and establish himself in the town of independence and sort of to, to start, start over sort of to absolve himself from, from a life that he previously lived. And um, I guess that's all I can give, give away at this point in time. But, uh, you know, he's a hard worker. Um, he did work on the railroads. And, um, you know, that's that's also a, a cool thing that this show is tapping into because I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, I guess, I guess not many people know that, you know, the Chinese, like, they were, like, about 90% of the labor force that helped build the railroads you know in the united states and so um yeah 
that's one of the things I like about the show, even just in the pilot, the little bits of history that goes into it organically, that for some of the audience, it might be the first time they encounter this history, which is why I appreciate Kai as a character, besides the fact that he's so open and genuine from the moment that you like you meet him. Um, but, you know, this is a Western, so there are a lot of like there's horseback riding and um, guns, shootings, shootouts. Did you get to do any stunt work? I know you said you can't tease too much, but was there any stunt work for you? You know, I can't tease too much, <clears throat> but I think as a as this series progresses, maybe something will happen. You know, I'm learning at the same time with the audience, you know, that I think that's the exciting thing about TV is that like, while we're shooting these episodes, it, it's fun to, to learn alongside people that are watching at the same time. Like, I'll, you know, we'll get, we'll get, <clears throat> we'll get episodes and, and then we'll be like, wow. Okay. And then we'll, we'll have to roll with whatever happens, you know? And um, yeah, who knows what's in store for Kai, but we shall see. That is exciting. Uh, yeah. I mean, really exciting, though, because it's such a big open world. There's so much you can do um, in the West because Independence, Texas is, I mean, it's really about freedom. And that's what Kai is working toward. Um, when you were researching for the character, like, what did you, what did you look into? Was it about, um, what did you want to know that you wanted to embody? But that also, you know, you needed to do a little more work on as far as that point in history. You know, usually I just let story um, spearhead my exploration. And um, obviously, I, I, um, I looked into the history of railroad workers and, you know, just just how tough it was and how, how hard and disciplined it, it must have been for for um, people to try to establish themselves in the 1800s. And so, you know, I just I just latched onto that and into the the nature of how hardworking Kai is and all the things that he he had to do he, that he has to do to preserve himself, to establish a name for himself and to also like, <clears throat> you know, continue to, to, to be prosperous here in independence, you know, like he, there's, there's, so, he owns a, he owns a restaurant, he owns a laundromat, he's a seamstress as well. Like he needs to do all these things. He needs to work extra hard, harder than everybody else around him because he looks and he sounds the way that he does. And I know he has, is there anyone else that he's connected to in the show besides Abby and the rest of the cast? Will we be seeing any, I guess not necessarily family, because I got the impression that he is on his own mostly, but his own sort of community base that he's starting to develop in an independence. I think as this series progresses, um, there will be glimpses of his past. Okay. And so we shall see. We shall see. That's the the thing about like these type of stories, they do slowly, they slowly unfold. Um, and I was wondering, is this your first period piece or have you done other period pieces before? Uh, this is definitely my first period piece. Okay, so what has that set been like for you then? And it, it's amazing just uh, just to be surrounded and by all the production design. You know, the set in itself is a, is a character already. And so just mm -hmm. working around that and just, you know, walking around the world, you know, they do such a good job building my, my space. Someone keeps knocking on my door. Oh no. I'm going to ignore him, but yeah. Um, you know, production design is so cool. And then you, you it feels like you don't even have to act because you're just you're walking around in the world and it's just, it's amazing. 
and dusty from what Santa Fe and the cell looks like right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, So I think I'm most excited for Kai to see his restaurant. Like when they, um, I'm not going to go over what the first dish was, but I like that they introduced food with him right off the bat. Um, So to see, like for the foodies, we'll be getting a little little, um, food action. Yeah, here and there, bits and pieces here and there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if you had to describe Walker Independence in just one word, like that would hook people into the story, what would it be? Courage. Nice. Why courage? Yeah. I think all the characters embody it. Um, they're all running towards something or they're running away from something or they're trying to like find themselves again. And it takes a lot of courage to to survive in these kind of environments and um yeah just you know courage i think especially i mean even thinking about my character you know just um the amount of courage it takes to just survive i guess and make it out on your own make it out on your own and you know everybody everybody's got a, a crazy backstory and everybody's everybody has their own um uh, specific demons or like issues that they're dealing with. But, you know, I think courage is what um, is the thing that, you know, pushes people forward. Mm-hmm. And do you have a specific, like when you're going out for a role and there's a role that you know that you want, is there a specific part of a character that hooks you is like, or of the storytelling that, you know, you mean like that this has to be me, like I has to be played by me. Um. <clears throat> You know, if, if, if the role, if the role is right for me, the role is right, is right for me. You know, I, I, every time I get an audition or I dive deep into a character, you know, I already feel really connected to, to, to them. And Mm -hmm. when I find the base note of, of who the character is, uh, through the different story points, um, I just, you know, I, I latch on and it's hard to let go of them. And, you know, like, uh, and, uh, Yeah. That's cool. I think that for with Kai, as we as the story unfolds, I think what's going to be interesting um, is to see how he fits with everybody else. Everyone seems so loud and brash or they're in or hiding something. And he seems very like he knows what he's doing in town. Like, obviously, he's figuring everything out like everybody else. But even just of what we've learned of him so far in the pilot, uh, he has direction in a way that other people do not. Um, you know, life takes its, uh, life, life has its ups and downs, you know? So Mm -hmm. we'll see how Kai navigates those things or, uh, the things that come his way. So, um, I know you said you're still winning like everybody else when you're getting this case, but is there a certain Western trope that you would like Kai to do? (sighs) I mean, I feel like there are a bunch of, I feel like he's already like, like navigating that area already. You know, he, he owns a restaurant. Um, he's super hardworking, you know. Um, I just don't want to give anything Too much away. away. All right. Well, then I will just say I, he might not do pistols at high noon, but it'd be interesting if he was doing pistols at high noon with somebody. Yeah, that might be cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, so uh, my last question um, is, are there, are there any other projects that you're excited about that you've done that are coming up? Um, I shot a little indie film called The Longest Sleep last year, and we're, we're submitting it to festivals soon. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pumped about that movie. What's that movie about? It's about, um, I play a young dad and um, long story short, he's just trying to like, um, <clears throat> he's just trying to connect with his daughter again, but there are all these other circumstances that are preventing him from doing that. Um, a lot of supernatural circumstances. And um, the whole journey of this character is, is, is him questioning himself to, to see whether or not he's capable of being a proper father to like, to the daughter that he, he just really loves. This sounds like an interesting mix of like story elements. You have the drama, you have the supernatural. I'm assuming a lot of like internal work for your character as yeah. far as uh, what, like how hard this is moving forward. Like you're trying to reconnect with your daughter, but then there's also this other supernatural stuff going on, which is challenging it. So it sounds really cool. Yeah, it's cool too. Cause you know, I, I don't have a daughter, but having to imagine that and uh, having to imagine like a piece of my heart with somebody else and not being able to, to be close to that person was, was really fun to explore. It sounds really fun to explore. We will all have to be on the lookout for it because <laughs> I'm interested in it. Um, but that was it. Um, so I wanted to say it was lovely talking to you, Lawrence. I'm very, very excited for Rocker Independence hitting in the fall in October. Awesome. Thank you. All right, well, that ends this Q&A pod and what we're watching. Um, we do want to toast our audience for sending in questions to us. This was really fun. Um, we're definitely doing a style, this style of podcasting again at some point. Uh, but I appreciate every single one of you guys for sending in questions. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. And they were the great questions. We had some thought-provoking time before we answered them. And I think yeah. it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Let's do it again soon. Yes. Okay. Well, um, we are the CW Spiral. I'm Sabrina. I'm Michael. And I'm Reed. Bye, y'all.